Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, what seems to be coming more rapidly many, many years ago, when I was in high school, I uh, took Spanish uh, for four years and I took a semester in college as well, but maybe you've taken a language before yourself and one of the first things that you do in most languages, I would assume, at least it was the case for me, one of the first things that you learn are the pleasantries, how to greet someone. I assume that you know, these, are, these rote protocols are in many languages, if not in fact uh, de facto in all of, our, all of language. There's a standard greeting on uh, when we encounter another person on what is the right way in introducing yourself, the, the saying of hellos. But I want you to think about how common that is of a thing for us in your native tongue. How many of us, when we ask someone how they're doing, uh, only to find out that that person doesn't really respond in the same way that we maybe initiated. Uh, that we don't, and, and then on top of that, that we don't always expect an answer when we say, hey, how's it going? Or how are you doing today? It is kind of a strange thing how hellos are shortened to haze or verbal head nods or how some people won't respond at all. It's not that, uh, not always, I mean, in some cases people just are totally oblivious, but it's not that the greeting or the words have, have lost their, their meaning, but the value of our social interactions have become fluid and they often are very situational. And this may be why the first impression is such an important social situation. Both parties or persons place a great sense of value on that experience. But over time, we don't hold that same sort of standard. Over time, we don't expect every encounter with that person or group of people to always feel the same way as the first one. For instance, think about your first day on campus or in a class or on the job. Do you remember how you met everyone? More than likely, your greetings and conversation were explorative, excited, or even very professional in their nature. Now fast forward to today. What does your Monday morning look like? More than likely, now that you have some sense of familiarity, it's transcended any of that initial awkwardness or formality, and that honeymoon phase has perhaps faded away. Now you know the campus, you know your classmates, you've become friends with them, and you know your peers better than you did before. Maybe now you even know extended family members, uh, for friends on campus or within your uh, within your office, and perhaps you've made even lasting friendships, and you share not only in their joys, but also in their sorrows. Those initial formalities have really faded away. The effort that you put into those first impressions, they haven't spoiled as much as they have become rooted. Something spoiled opposed to something that's now soaked in. It's a very part of you. It's the kind of joy that isn't only on the surface, but now, again, it is a, a part of you. It's a genuine joy, not always expressed by excited hellos or big hugs or excessive handshakes. It's the kind of familiarity that has a subtle joy.
to it. In the Gospel today, the Divine Logos, the Word of God, is quietly tabernacled within Mary's womb. But Mary's voice may as well have been a trumpet announcing the King's presence. The mere greeting of Mary brought John to leap for joy within the womb of his mother, Elizabeth. John's first encounter with the presence of Jesus was through the greeting voice of his mother, Mary. And this is a significant greeting for Mary and Elizabeth. But it's also biblically and historically important for what it exemplifies for us. In this moment, Mary illustrates the Christian church, the Christian church as the dwelling place of God. Mary holds within her womb the Christ child. Mary holds within her womb the Christ child as the church holds within itself the preaching of Jesus. Namely, that Jesus promises to dwell among us. Jesus says, lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. Elizabeth, in this same moment, depicts for us a response to the presence of Christ. Her words are a kind of liturgy, words that we have and speak back to God. She's filled with the Holy Spirit, the scriptures say, and exclaims, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. The liturgy of the Christian church is centuries old with remnants from biblical story, even the Christmas story. But don't be fooled by its familiarity. I want you to see in this, in this familiarity, a deeper joy, a subtle joy perhaps even, how the presence of Christ comes to dwell within you. The presence of Christ comes to dwell within you. This is the kind of joy that isn't only on the surface, like a first greeting sort of thing. It's now become a part of us in our Christian life. It's familiar, but a genuine joy. It's faith that has taken its root in you. It's become a part of you such that even your functionality in life is, is uh, geared toward and goes through the life of being a Christian. You measure your life by how God calls you to be in this world. Now, if you remember, last week's gospel captured the doubts that John had about Jesus while he was in prison. The joy of Jesus that he experienced first in the womb, and then as he met him face to face to baptize him, faded into a familiarity. And if there can be a critique to familiarity, it is that people and ways of life can become merely rote interactions, rote interactions, and they can even come to a, a blind worship. Believe me, pastors hear it all the time about how worship is kind of the same week after week. And it's always usually in a negative sense. <laughs> Instead of saying, this is how we've been rooted. This is who we are. We return back to a familiar joy. But familiarity, when fed and nourished, can once again be vibrant. Think about what a faithful sermon does for the soul or the significance of taking communion for the first time after a Christian loved one has died and you hear those liturgical words. 
with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, knowing that at the same time you receive the presence of Christ in the Holy Supper, they also are in the real presence of Christ in eternity. And so you share a moment with them in God's church, which is eternal. John was not persuaded then to dismiss these things, to dismiss these joys, to dismiss Jesus. But he was reminded again that the long-expected Messiah had come. The presence of Jesus in our liturgical response to his dwelling among us calls us back. Back to something familiar. Back to something that has taken its root in us. Back to a genuine joy of Jesus. Back to what makes a Christian. Christ. Again, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is, it, and why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Why indeed? Why is it granted to us that the Lord should now come himself to us, even to us in the church? When Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, she spoke of Jesus as her Lord. And dear Christians, hear this. The Holy Spirit is present now among you and has been with you since your baptism. He has come to you in words of the liturgy, divine words, chiefly from Scripture itself, and put them into your mouth to be your words of praise, your liturgical response to Jesus' presence with you. This is done as the Holy Spirit enters our ears through the greeting of the gospel, and it settles in our hearts and yearns for faith to take hold of it. Our ears are the megaphones to the heart, and Elizabeth explains it this way. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. That fulfillment is the birth of a Savior, the Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord. As true God and true man, he came to be rooted among us, to tabernacle among us, incarnated into the flesh, through faith that we, may, that we may accept these things through faith, that he has saved us from our sins. This faith is lived among our brothers and sisters with a true joy, joy as being filled with the Holy Spirit, joy as being forgiven of all of our sins, joy as being promised eternal life, though we do not deserve it. And we have all these joys through the faith that we have in Jesus' birth, death, and resurrection, and even the promise that he will come again for us. The Lord's presence, the Lord's presence comes to us in the fulfillment of divine prophecy, and ever since then, he comes continually in word and sacrament. So be assured, have joy, have Christian joy that is not spoiled but knowing that it has soaked in. That the familiarity that you have with God and his word is a blessing, not a curse. 
we've become familiar with Christ, well-rooted in the pleasantries of God's liturgical greetings and the gospel as they dwell within us, as they have come to us through him in the midst of us in the church. So today, today, when, and if I'm even bold enough to use my elementary level Spanish, I hope that whoever I may speak to and have the, maybe those first impressions with, any native speaker, it will not come with too much embarrassment. But I know this, no matter how hard I try, I'm bound to mess up, not only in speaking, but also in every sort of scenario. Because why? Because we are sinners. No matter how hard I try, you try, we mess it up. Our words prone to fail us and others, both accidentally and more often intentionally. That's what we do. That's what sinners do. But thankfully, the language of the church is something that lifts us out of this muck, where Jesus dwells within us in the liturgy, and he gives us words to speak, words for our own sin that bring us forgiveness. God's mercy is, as Mary responded to Elizabeth, for those who fear him from generation to generation. The way we rejoice in God, our Savior, is different from how the world rejoices. We are sinners, prone to fear things that can harm us. And God is our judge, and he can harm us by condemning us for our many sins. But in Christ, the Father has shown us his mercy. And that mercy dwells among you. Jesus receives all of your sins. And in fact, he has already bore them upon the cross. So rejoice in God's familiar and wonderful and unending mercy. The familiar, forgiving proclamation that in Christ, our greatest joy is known. God and sinners are reconciled. The true story of two unborn children, the final Old Testament prophet and Savior, is an instant classic. A woman bears a son in her old age, and a virgin bears the Son of God, in her youth. The scriptures tell us of a man who prepared the way for Christ and that Christ is our crucified King. What a joy it is that God's story does not change and with it the liturgy remains ever familiar to us that we may greet the world with the unchanging joy of Mary's Magnificat, the angel's Gloria and Excelsis, the angel's heavenly peace and the words of Christ himself, even while we dwell in Christ in earth. To God be all the glory. Amen.